said your eyes are kind of... My eyes are open. Shut it off. Shut that off. Not For yet. the first time... Turn it off. Turn it off. Yeah, that's later. It's like a sneak preview. That's a sneak preview. In a world where things go wrong. <laughs> hey, uh, just to give you a heads up of what we're doing the next few weeks, we're doing a series of one-off messages uh, before we start our big series on the life of David which will be the last Sunday, at September 29th, I think is the last Sunday of the month. We're starting a, probably a several-month-long series on the life of David. This week, we're going to be talking about angels. Next week, I'm going to be doing a, a sermon on the, the, the parable of the marriage feast, a very difficult passage that I'm sure to butcher. And then the week after that, I'm thinking about, I have to talk to the team, of, maybe we're going to maybe have some sort of a Q&A time or something maybe. Okay, so something like that so that you guys can correct all my mistakes from the past six to nine months. So, um, but for today, I'm very excited about this message. It's called Dad's Favorite Kids. We can bring that slide up. Now, what we're going to be talking about today is angels. And really what I want to ask you is, is this working? What do angels look at? in heaven. I mean, what is the news that grabs the headlines in heaven? What is it that the angels are thinking about all the time? What is it they want information about, right? I mean, if they're Republican angels, they're watching Fox News. <laughs> if they're liberals, they're watching MSNBC, CNN, you know, right? And, or if they're, you know, the New York Times, if they like it, the print there. And, um, maybe they just care about sports. I don't know. You know, maybe they're saying, who's going to win the Super Bowl? Of course, if you're in heaven, you probably know who's going to win the Super Bowl. And you already know that Buck fans are going to be disappointed all year long. So, <laughs> and then, or maybe they're just interested in local news. Maybe they just watch SNN 6 all the time. I mean, I don't know. I mean, think about what is it the angels are really thinking about? Or maybe perhaps they don't really care about news. Maybe they like gossip stuff. Maybe they're always watching the globe. Can you believe Kim Kardashian's baby has four heads? Can you believe that happened? <laughs> Maybe the National Enquirer. You know, they like to see all the scandals about all the presidents. I mean, that's always in the Enquirer. Maybe they're looking at people.com. I mean, for all we know. Like, they, they, they're always fascinated by the, the world's most 100 fascinating people. Or is it most beautiful people or something like that? Maybe they're hitting drudge 4,000 times a day. I mean, think about it. If you're an angel in heaven, you can click that mouse a lot faster than a human. You can get all the Drudge Report headlines. Maybe that's how they stay informed. Maybe they're looking at the star. You know, it's kind of like the Inquirer or the Globe. Maybe the sun. What is it that angels are doing all day? I mean, what is it that they're looking into all the time? What is it that they're so fascinated by? I mean, there has to be something, right, that's always the talk of the town around the angel water cooler. What does that water cooler look like anyway? I mean, just think about it. You're an angel. You're in heaven. You've been there a long time, right? You know God personally. You know Jesus. You know the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, you know each other. You've seen all these other people. And, but you're still interested in what's going on. Well, what dominates that coverage? Let me read you a passage, okay? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 to 12, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what persons or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating 
when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, talking about the drama of redemption, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel or the good news to you by, this, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels long to look. And what I would submit to you, what the scripture teaches us about angels is that they are just fascinated by this whole drama of redemption that is playing out before them. As they see God's chosen come to Christ, and as they see Christ in the Spirit of God and through the power of God's Word preserve His children through all types of attacks from the evil one, as they see this drama of redemption, the ups and the downs and the, and the bad times in church history and the good times in church history and the writing of the Word of God and the bringing together of God's Word, the founding of different churches, and they see the drama of people like Augustine come in and write his books and, and Arminius and Calvin and all the popes and, and you know, all, they're looking at all this history of, of the gospel as it goes out. They see how the enemy attacks it and the gospel gets adulterated and it gets changed into something that's not the gospel. And then they see the power of God go forward and say, uh-uh, that's my gospel, I'm preserving the message. And they see this happening over and over again. And every day they wake up and they think, man, how is the drama of redemption going to play out today? It's like your team would be in a Super Bowl every day of your life and you had to block off three or four hours just to watch it. I know we as Buck fans can't relate to that, but still, you get the point. And so these angels are watching all this. They're fascinated by it. They, they're, they're hungry for it. They desire to look, they long to look into these things. Now, the next question is, why would angels in heaven even care about the story of salvation? I mean, why? It doesn't really relate to them, does it? I mean, God didn't send his son to die for angels. They don't have a chance to trust Christ. They don't need redemption from sin. I'm going to read you another passage in Isaiah, chapter 14. How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, O son of the dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I'll make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. And it doesn't take us a whole lot of study to understand that what Isaiah was talking about was a picture of Lucifer. Satan, the devil. And one of the reasons the angels are so fascinated by this story is because there was at one time a pretty big battle that went on in heaven between angels and other angels that Lucifer convinced to go with him. Matter of fact, we're going to read a scripture in a second. It explains about a third of the angels in heaven one day decided, we want to take over. And the scripture teaches us there was a war that went on. And Michael, the archangel, had his crew, and they beat Lucifer and his angels. And the scripture says there was no more room for them in heaven. We're going to read that passage in just a second. But you can see why the angels have a vested interest in this whole process. There are some theologians, as a matter of fact, 
who propose a theory. Augustine is one of them. He proposed a theory that when the third of the angels were cast down from heaven, that in reality, the number of people in the church kind of matches them and replaces them in heaven. Did you know that? Because the third is an exact number. And so that's a theory that Augustine had, that, that basically what would happen is when the angels were cast down, God allows the drama of redemption to play out and save his church, and the angels that are replaced are the exact same number of the church. And the reason he believes that it's because the scripture says in the very beginning in the Old Testament that those angels were called the sons of God. And later on in the passage we're going to look at, behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called what? The sons of God. And so there's, I'm, I'm, I don't know if that's true, that's a theory, but the point is the angels have this fascination with this story because they're heavily involved in how it played out. So, I want to read to you this passage in Revelation. I didn't put it up on the screen because it's long. But I'm going to read it to you, and I'm going to try to read it in such a way that keeps you interested so you don't drift off. Now, I gave you students some Pop-Tarts. So just this is the time to, to use the Pop-Tarts to keep your attention. You got it? That's why I did this. Okay. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. And his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven, a picture of the angels, and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour this child. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. I mean, who's that sound like? And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, a war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels, the third that were cast down, fought back, but they were defeated. And there was no longer a place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. The accuser of our brothers. Who's saying that? These are the angels saying that. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. Doesn't that sound like an incredibly intense plot? There's a big fight. They're thrown down. And the guy who lost knows he has a very short time before he's done forever. And what he does is he tries to come down to the earth and he tries to wreak havoc here. But yet somehow this drama of redemption through the power of the blood of Christ and the Holy Spirit and the incredibly powerful word of God which never comes back a failure, but always accomplishes everything it's supposed to, according to the scripture. 
this word of God and this spirit of God and the blood of Christ go through this world that is reeking, that is having, having havoc wreaked upon it by the angels who fell and their leader. And yet somehow the angels in heaven watch this and they're astonished at how it seems the blood of Christ wins every time. Sometimes it looks like he pulls it out just in the nick of time to one of his elect. Sometimes he saves one of his elect, you know, when they're very young. Sometimes it's middle way through their life. But every instance of salvation that is wrought, it's an amazing, exciting drama that the angels are fascinated by. And I can imagine, just like when we're watching our favorite team and they score a touchdown or a run or something like that, every time one of the elect comes to Christ, I imagine the angels saying, wow, did you see how God saved that one? Whoa, did you see how he did that? Look how he pulled that one out. I never saw that coming. I thought for sure that member of the elect was a goner. But somehow God did it again. And the angels are watching this, and they're fascinated. They watch the ticker go by. Wow, Pastor Joe was saved when he was in ninth grade. There was no way he should have heard the gospel. But he heard it, and God saved him. Wow. That's kind of how it works. And the reason they're so excited about it is because they played a role in the fact that this battle has been going on. Isn't that amazing? Here's another passage. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment... Now, obviously, that's just part of the sentence. But for the sake of time, I wanted to make sure that you understand the Scripture teaches us that those angels that fell, Lucifer and the third of the angels he took with him, they don't have a chance for this drama of redemption to play out in their lives. They sinned, and they're committed to chains of gloomy darkness until judgment. They don't have a chance for Christ. They're done. They're toast. And it must really bug them. Another passage, Jude chapter 1, verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So you have two sets of angels, right? You have the ones in heaven who love this drama of redemption. They love it when God saves one of his elect. They love how the Spirit of Christ and the blood of Christ and the Word of God works in spite of those fallen angels. That's one group, and they're fascinated by the, by the news headline ticker that goes down the bottom of the screen. This one got saved today. God saved this one. God called this one. God redeemed this one. And they're excited. They watch the blow by bow. And then there's the other group of angels who have no hope, no chance of redemption. And they know their time is short. And every time they see another one redeemed, oh, we got beat again. We got beat again. And they don't give up. They fight harder and harder and harder. If you're a child of God, I promise you, the forces of darkness did not want God's sovereign grace to transform your heart and soul. And they fought it tooth and nail. But guess what? If you're a child of God, they lost. How do you think they feel? You know, I was thinking through the best way to explain what they must be thinking and what they must be feeling. And you know, Hollywood does a, does a lot of stupid, nasty stuff. But every once in a while, because truth is so prevalent, they stumble upon something. And they're able to present something in a way 
that allows you to say, oh, that's a good visual. Now I get it. I want you to watch this clip. Your eyes are kind of... My eyes are open. For the first time, I get it. When that little innocent girl let her mission slip, I had an epiphany. See, in the beginning, it was just us and him, angels and God. Then he created humans. Ours was designed to be a life of servitude and worship and bowing and scraping and adoration. He gave them more than he ever gave us. He gave them a choice. They choose to acknowledge God or choose to ignore him. All this time we've been down here, I've felt the absence of the divine presence. And it's pained me, as I'm sure it must have pained you. And why? Because of the way he made us. Had we been given free will, we could choose to ignore the pain, like they do. But no, we're servants. Hey, you know, all I'm saying here is that one of us might need a little nap. Wake up! These humans have besmirched everything he's bestowed upon them. They were given paradise, they threw it away. They were given this planet. They destroyed it. They were favored best among all his endeavors. And some of them don't even believe he exists. And in spite of it all, he has shown them infinite every turn. What about us? I asked you once to lay down the sword because I felt sorry for them. What was the result? Our expulsion from paradise. It's right! It's not fair! We've paid our debt! Don't you think it's time? Don't you think it's time we went home? And to do that, I... I think we may have to dispatch our, our would-be dispatchers. Wait, wait, wait. Kill them? My God, I've heard a rant like this before. What did you say? I've heard a rant like this before. You sound like the morning star. You're not talking about going home, Bartleby. You're talking about war on God. I have seen what happens to the proud when they take on the throne. I'm going back to Wisconsin. We're going home, Loki. And no one, not you, not even the Almighty himself, is going to make that up. Isn't that a great way to think about how fallen angels must feel about this drama of redemption? He shows us infinite patience. <clears throat> Some of us don't even believe he exists, yet we're the most favored of all his endeavors. The Father's favorite endeavor. And he shows us infinite patience and grace at every turn, yet they don't have any they make one mistake, expelled from heaven. So, go back to the PowerPoint slide show. The last question, why does God show blatant favoritism? I mean, why would he show such blatant, unfair favoritism? I mean, he's God, right? Is he allowed to show favoritism? I'm asking you a question. Is God allowed to have favorites? Is that wrong? Does that make God a sinner if he has favorites? Clearly not because he's God. He's in charge. He can do whatever he wants. He owns it all anyway. But God clearly does have favorites. God has those who he loves. 
and those who he redeems and those who he cares for and those he will not let the forces of darkness defeat. He has those who will not lose. They won't lose. The forces of darkness, Lucifer and his third angel, fight as they may, they cannot win when it comes to God saving the souls of the elect. And then you have the angels who fell. No redemption there. So the question is, why does God show this favoritism? Well, there is no doctrinal reason. There's no scientific reason. There's no unsolved mystery. There is only one reason. He loves us more. Just like parents love their children. God says, I'll do anything I need to for my kids. There's two verses we're going to finish with. This one, but the first one of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. And then I took Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and I paraphrased it. Think about this love. Think about this drama of redemption. Think about how unfair salvation is. It's not right. Because we all deserve hell, including the angels that fell. We deserve it just as much as them. As a matter of fact, I could say we deserve it more because we make more than one mistake in our rebellion, right? They make one mistake, they're gone. We make them constantly, and God continues to flood us with grace upon grace upon grace. And so we have this blatant favoritism that is heaped upon us, that the angels in heaven are fascinated by, that the angels on earth are ticked off about. And so the only thing I can do today is after you say, wow, I'm favored that much, what do I do? And I paraphrase this. This is the King Joe version. I encourage you, therefore, brothers and sisters, because of the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is the least you can do. Some translations say it's your reasonable service. I like to say, in modern vernacular, it's the least you can do. How could you do less? You're one of his favorites. And the angels in heaven who are watching this, they say, if they only knew how close their soul is to judgment and how just in the nick of time the blood of Christ transforms and saves and redeems them, they would give everything they have to Heavenly Dad. Everything. They would hold nothing back. Yet we go on in our Christian life day to day living in the bask and glow of his favoritism and we take it for granted. And if we really understood the drama behind it, the passion behind it, the suspense behind it, the emotion on both sides behind it, if we really understood our hearts would be overwhelmed with thankfulness, with gratitude, and we would say, you know what? 
the least I can do is live for you. Every moment that my frail body will allow me, because I'm your favorite, you're mine. Oh, how I like Jesus. Why? I love Jesus because he first loved me. God didn't send his love to you because you somehow outshone the rest. He didn't save you because, wow, they're doing really good in church. I think I'll give them salvation. He said, you know what? That's one of my favorites. I'm going to save them from their darkness. And the angels in heaven cheered. The angels in heaven, or the angels on earth, cussed. That's what salvation does every time to both sides of that equation. And so as we live below the fray of that spiritual war that goes back and forth, my encouragement to you this morning is this. Think about how powerful the drama is, how powerful the emotion is, and ask yourself, what's the least you could do?